So you've made it here today, and basically what I want to say to begin with is that Grassroots is at a really amazing phase of its journey. I, I've been here for just over a year, and the last year was characterized by a year of listening, a chance to get to, for me to get to know you and you to get to know me, and a chance to come together as a community and nail down a bit of our identity, who we are as a church. And those, that, that year has kind of come together in these three phrases, restoring faith, we want to be a people of, of, of God that restores those who have lost their faith, restores the faith in them uh, that, they have in, in, that they have had in God or maybe never had in God. We want to be a community also who shelters vulnerable people, the people who we find around us, who are near us. We want to be people everywhere and every step of the way sheltering the vulnerable. And then also we want to be people who uh, are, are inspirational, bright disciples, people who are uh, coming to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to coming in to, to know Jesus through uh, prayer and through studying. So uh, I'm excited that we've come to that point. And what that means now is that we are almost ready in many ways to launch out into a new phase of ministry. And I'm so excited about that. Uh, for this, For the next little bit here, though, I, I want to kind of create the, the, the time for us. What this time is, is a time of uh, stepping out just a little bit more into uh, our new phase of Grassroots Church. And so you'll, you'll find it being uh, a time of ex experimenting with a few things, launching a new things, many new things. And so anyway, stay tuned for that. And I'm excited to uh, kind of be part of asking the question again, how is our unique identity, how does God want to use that unique identity to help us build for his kingdom in northern Ontario. Lots to come. Lots, so stay tuned is what I'm saying. There's lots to come. So this year is going to be a year of not only finding our unique identity, stepping out a little more in that, but also of hopefully deepening. I want us to, um, I'm inviting us as a community to go, to go deeper into intimacy and fellowship with our Lord, the one who, who we follow with Jesus. And so uh, I was thinking about this and how do I begin? How do you start a year of preaching on Jesus? And uh, I think it's part, I, I had this really funny thing that happened at the retreat this last weekend that captured almost it perfectly for me. So, you know, we're, we're a group of people who love to be in the outdoors, a group of people who love to pray together and, and devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and love to do it in the great outdoors. And so that's why we were at a retreat this last weekend, at Aurora Bible Camp. And um, see, I think I've got a picture here. Here's some folks canoeing out at Aurora Bible Camp. When I, on Sunday morning, I was preparing my sermon out in a canoe. I had my Bible to Genesis 1 open, and I was paddling solo out there and preparing. And some of you yourselves were starting the Sunday, your Sunday morning off with some paddling and swimming. And uh, I was just kind of doing circles out in this bay here and, and preparing. And I came close to the shore, and I saw something that was hilarious. And I, I, I knew that, that it wasn't what it first seemed. But what, what I saw was one of you in your swimsuit, wading through the shallows with a bit of a kind of a stupering look. You were kind of stupering around, and you were kind of looking for something, and there was a bit of kind of, you know, dazedness about you, and you were holding an empty beer bottle. <laughs> and I thought, if I didn't know this person, I would think that they were beginning their Sunday morning drunk. <laughs> and it was so funny because there you, there you were in all of your glory, half-clothed, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you were kind of, kind of walking around. And so, okay, so what's going on here? You know, what's happening? Uh, I knew what was happening. Well, I kind of did. I didn't know fully. But uh, what this person was doing was uh, supering around looking for shells 
because a, a group of little girls were collecting shells, and they were, you know, finding shells for this group of little girls. And they had, along the way, had found an empty beer bottle somewhere that was, could be a danger to someone, and they picked it up, and they were going to go throw it away. And so uh, this is perfect because uh, when, we get to, when we get to the topic of knowing Jesus, one of the major things that I'm going to invite us to think about this year is that uh, even though that many of us may have spent a long time in our life following Jesus, there's still so much about him that if we don't fully understand who he is, that we might mistake. And just like we might mistake, I might have mistaken someone for having a drunken, stupering morning on a, on a Sunday morning, uh, the Pharisees, Jesus' religious kind of opponents, the people who are most against him, had some of the same kind of concerns about him. They were offended by Jesus uh, because well, what they said, that he was a friend of sinners and a drunkard. You know, Jesus, and, and here's the thing, Jesus knew how to party. This is what we found out about Jesus. He knew how to celebrate, and he had something to celebrate, because as we learn in the scriptures, as we learn, as we read his, the, the story of his life, that he believed that uh, God himself was coming back and establishing his kingdom in a new way through Jesus' ministry. Uh, and, and instead of Israelite, the, the Jewish people, instead of Israelites king, you know, King David and all of the successors of kings, instead of an heir of David coming to the throne, God himself was going to become king now. And Jesus was thought of himself and considered himself to be the one who was going to go around and announce this great news and be the one through whom God's kingdom was established as his prince and his king. So all that to say, Jesus had something to celebrate, and it was offensive and audacious and something that made the religious authorities offended. Uh, but here's the thing. They didn't understand him. They didn't understand what was going on. And so, you know, as we, we um, get to some of these ideas about not taking offense at Jesus and and understanding what that's about. Here's what he had to say in response to some of these Pharisees or in, in the midst of all this. He says, blessed, this is Jesus speaking, blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, these Pharisees, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? John, his cousin. A reed shaken by the wind. What did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes. Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. And one of the things I'm excited to begin preaching about, I think it's two or three weeks down the road, is, is Jesus' cousin John, who is this great prophet who comes to uh, prepare the way for Jesus, and all that that's um, bundled up in, in him being a prophet. And Jesus goes on to say, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say about John that he has a demon. The religious people don't like John, for, especially because he's challenging them. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And this is what Jesus calls himself, the Son of Man. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. So here's the thing. Jesus knew how to have some fun. And the Pharisees saw that and they mistook that. They, they saw him as a drunkard and someone who was just out of control. And yet Jesus, as we come to realize, as we come to get to know him and come to understand what he's about, we recognize he's not drunk. He's not drunk on an early morning. He's not out there wasted away and out of control. He is fully in his own mind, perhaps the only one in his right mind at the time, recognizing that God himself is coming back. And so here's the thing about Jesus. And the hard truth about kind of why I want to devote a year to studying him together. 
it's very easy to be offended by Jesus. And if, as Christians, we've never been offended by Jesus, I think we probably haven't had ears to hear what he has to say to us just yet. So it's very easy to be offended by him. And instead, and when, when we get offended by Jesus, when Jesus offends us, instead of taking that hard turn inwardly and looking and saying, what do I have to change about myself? Oftentimes we just sort of begin glossing him over with a layer of paint and forming our own image of Jesus over, the, over the, the canvas. And so we begin shaping Jesus into our own image to justify all the things we already believe and to justify all the things that we have and have been doing. And so this is, it's very easy to do this. And to ex- explain a little bit more about this, they have some pictures. We have all sorts of versions of Jesus out there. I love this first one is the teddy bear Jesus. I really don't want that toy, so please don't buy that for me. The teddy bear Jesus, the Jesus who's just there to be snuggled and who makes us feel nice and warm at night. Or how about this Jesus, the guru Jesus? All he is is a good teacher, and we need to just listen to his teachings, but he's no more than the good guru. Or about this one, the I don't, I don't have any feelings Jesus. <laughs> I'm like horrified by that Jesus. Or how about the hippie Jesus? He's just here to... Help us have a good time, carefree. And all these Jesuses are actually versions of Jesus that get preached out there, versions of Jesus that come and go, but they're not the real Jesus. And here's the thing about the real Jesus. The real Jesus is far more courageous and far more offensive and far more amazing than oftentimes we initially understand. And so... uh, you know, as we get these many versions of Jesus, all these people asking these hard questions and coming to the face-to-face with the real Jesus, sometimes what we get is, is, is this kind of anti-Jesus sentiment, like uh, perhaps Jesus, this Jesus is just a delusion, or Christianity itself is maybe based on a huge mistake, or um, being a person of faith today is ridiculous, or Maybe uh, Jesus is something in the past, bad for your health, or the worst thing for society, something that, uh, something that we, we just uh, can't quite deal with. And here, as Christians, this is the reality. For 2,000 years, and at least the last 200, our culture has been asking some really hard questions about Jesus. And honestly, I've seen most, most Christians give two responses. One of them is to just, uh, just completely go along with whatever the winds of culture are wherever they're blowing and to just keep reshaping Jesus into however our culture imagines who we want him to be. Some Christians, a lot of Christians end up doing that with Jesus. They don't really read deeply into the, the scriptures and find out who this person was. On the other hand, you find some Christians who are like, they don't want to hear about the questions. They don't want to hear the hard questions. They don't want to hear about any of these uh, bad feelings towards Jesus. So all, all we do is close our eyes and begin thumping people over the head with this Uh, The way, the truth, and the life, no questions asked, please. And I I think that as Christians, it's unfortunate that these are the two responses that we've had to the the world around us. And I think that grassroots here, and and part of the reason why we're going to spend a year on this, is because as Christians, we need to be able to answer the hard questions about Jesus. Who is he? Why is he so offensive? Why why is he challenging to us? What does he have to say to our world? Because when we come face-to-face with the real Jesus, he has something to say about everything. You know, um, I'll talk about this in in just a minute, but uh, one author said that Jesus is and was much more than people often imagine. So for our own spiritual life and for the ability to answer the hard questions that people have about Jesus, we've got to take this journey. 
we've got to ask some hard questions and get in here with this. So uh, I kind of like this picture of Jesus. It's kind of shadowy and I don't know. So I'm going to leave that up for a bit. So I, I've come personally to know a lot about Jesus. I, I'm, but I, I have a lot to learn. And the, I'm, I'm excited to preach on this because I know that the more that I learn about Jesus, the deeper he goes the more that I dig out about him, the more that I discover the treasures deep, buried deep about who he is and who he is for us, the more that, the deeper he goes. And so I have a lot to learn about Jesus. And my story of learning about Jesus began about 20 years ago. Jesus came to, in my awareness and he came into my life when I was a teenager. And um, I just couldn't get enough of who this guy was. And so I, I would have this place where I would go. Uh, as I would find intimacy with him, learn about him as I was reading the scriptures. And it was this imaginary place. It was like a courtyard. And in this courtyard, there were four pillars. And it was outside in the woods. It's kind of an open-air courtyard. And there's a pillar in the middle. And from my earliest teenage years of knowing Jesus, I'd imagine him sitting on that pillar waiting for me. And I'd come, and I'd, I'd come close to him. And there are times in my college years and later on where, like, I don't know what, what God was doing in my heart, but I remember coming up to this courtyard and trying to go into the courtyard and just feeling like there was this massive glass in front of me. I couldn't get through it. Every time I shattered it down to get to Jesus, another piece of glass would be there. And so uh, all, and throughout this whole process, my, my devotion to Jesus, getting to know him, uh, one of the things I've realized is that I, at first, Jesus was there. The same Jesus who was there in my teenage years is the same one who's there now. But it was a fuzzy version of him. I didn't quite understand who he was. And, and, and as I've gotten closer and closer, the, the image of who he is has gotten sharper and sharper. And I've become more amazed and more terrified. And terrified in a way that I'm not scared or unsafe, but terrified in a way that I feel like I'm in the safest place in all of creation. And the more I get closer to him, um, the more I realize there's, there's so much more to discover. And so I love Jesus so much and love learning about him that I went and got a master's degree in biblical studies to learn more about Jesus. And then after that, I went to get a PhD to learn more about Jesus. And so I went to school 27 years eventually and wrote a dissertation on the baptism scene, Jesus' own baptism, what that meant for him. I love Jesus. There's so much to share about him, so much I want to share with you about him that I've learned, and yet still so much to know. So... Uh, all of this talk about Jesus and getting to know him. Um, we we, we kind of get to this. I think, I think the best place to begin of getting to know Jesus is near the last little bit of his life. Um, at, at, the, at the last week of his life, he can't, comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And to understand who he is and who, his identity, who he thought he, he was, his identity, getting to know him, this is probably the best place to start. So here we have a story in Luke, and Luke tells us that Jesus approaches Bethany and Bethphage at the place called the Mount of Olives. He sent out two disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. Okay. I know this is just a few verses, and at first blush, it may seem like, okay, we've heard this story before, Jesus is on, coming into Jerusalem on donkey. But if we have eyes to see, we recognize that when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, he is entering into a massive storm. I mean, we pray to this morning for those in Florida who are going to be experiencing the Hurricane Irma. 
I mean, when it comes to taking a metaphor of a hurricane, Jesus is walking into a cultural, political, and religious hurricane. I mean, this is some, to do something like this is un, unimaginable. Um, and here, here's what I mean. You know, when we think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, you know, here's kind of an overview shot. Here's Bethany on, you know, on this little hill, and there's, you know, a little river coming through here. Bethphage is on top of, you know, a little, getting a little closer to Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives where, where Jesus ends up coming is up here, and the Temple Mount is here. So Jesus is coming to this vicinity, coming to the Temple Mount. And what, we, what we've learned about this and what we recognize about this is this temple is the very place where Jewish people believe God's presence lived. And even if, even if God's presence wasn't, wasn't in this temple in the time of Jesus and when it, as it used to be way back, Jews believed that God would someday come back in a visible, tangible way into this temple and that God would come and he would restore Israel's fortunes and rule over the world as, as a worldwide king. And so Luke tells us that Jesus is coming. He's coming close to the Mount of Olives, and he's fulfilling this prophecy in Zechariah, which Zechariah was a prophet way back hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, who said, I see something in the distant future. It's blurry, but I see it coming. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He'll cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so we see that Jesus, one of the things about Jesus is he knew the scriptures. Jesus was a devout student of the scriptures, and he had taken them so deeply, the Old Testament, into his heart that he recognized that God was calling him to be this king, to ride into Jerusalem and to proclaim, I am now king over all of the earth. I'm bringing peace to it. And so there's a lot of people in Jerusalem who thought of themselves as the rulers of the world. Okay, so he's coming in to people who already thought they were ruling the world, and he's coming and saying, it's me. I'm now king of the earth. Guys, like, this is crazy-making to come in and say this, and we're going to unpack this and, and, and show why. But, it's, but if it's true, it's the thing that changes everything. So here we go. He's coming in as fulfilling this prophecy that everyone knew about. And so he's in on this donkey. And then there's one more bit here that you need to know before I get into the rest of the, the, the um, passage. Malachi 3.1, another prophet prophesying, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. So not only is a king supposed to come into Jerusalem on a donkey and bring peace to the world and rule the world, but God himself is coming back in a way that hasn't happened in, a gener in many generations. So Jesus is coming as king. So here, here we go. You have to know those things to, to get the fullness out of this verse. So those who were sent, back to, back to Jesus, those who were sent departed and found it as he told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks in the colt, they set it on Jesus. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. This is a royal entrance. They believe the king of the world is coming into Jerusalem, so they're putting their cloaks, the things that give them warmth, on the road for Jesus. As he rode along, people kept spreading them. And as he was approaching down the path from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude that 
hundreds and hundreds probably of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king, here it is, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And all that we really need to know for now, because I'm going to unpack this in weeks to come, is that Jesus is coming in as king. He's not coming in as a religious leader. He's not coming in as a guru. He's not coming in to help people make themselves feel better about their lives, although um, he, he does that in a deeper, profound way. He's coming as king. He's coming as someone who wants to rule not only Israel, but rule the world and, and create peace throughout the world. And so some of the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders who were his opponents in the crowd said to them, teacher, order these guys to stop. The, the Pharisees are offended. Order your disciples to stop treating you like a king because this is going to get everyone killed. And Jesus, and Jesus answered, I tell you, if these, my disciples were silent, the very stones would cry out. He says, you can try to silence this, but it's not going to be silenced. The world is at a turning point, and I'm going to become its king. And so he goes on, as he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus is crying because all that had to happen was the great crowd of Israel, the great religious leaders, come to embrace him as king. And Jesus said, we could, we could establish a worldwide kingdom of peace right here and right now, but you guys don't even recognize it. And he says, and because of that, and because, and this goes into the way that the Jewish people were relating to the Romans. They were just kind of doing everything these Romans wanted to, the Jewish leaders. The days will come upon you, Jesus says, when your enemies, the Romans, will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. And the point is this. These, these Jewish leaders were trying to just appease the Romans, and that strategy, Jesus is saying, isn't going to work. The only strategy to bring peace to the world is to now come and follow me. And he's saying, if you keep following this strategy of trying to appease the Romans, they're going to come and they're eventually going to kill you. They're not good rulers of the world. They will destroy everything about you. And 30 years later, after Jesus dies, that very thing happens. The Romans come in and wipe Jerusalem out. But here's the thing. God is coming. God is coming back. And the sad thing is, is these people, the, the Jewish people had been waiting for this generations after generations. They've been telling the story over and over again of God coming back. And guess what time of year this was when Jesus came in riding on a donkey? It was Passover time, the time when they're remembering way back in our history, and we did this all last year as grassroots, way back in our history, God came once before and rescued us from Pharaoh and he brought us into the desert, and he created us as a people. And every year for hundreds and hundreds of years, they celebrate this. And all they're thinking, we'll talk about this more next week. And they're thinking about all of that great rescue. And in comes Jesus saying, now is the time. I'm bringing God's presence with me into this temple. Then he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. And he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were spellbound by what they heard. And this is where we get to it. This is where we get to it. 
They're trying to find a way to kill him. And I'll just say this. I'll just leave it, I'll just leave it at this this morning for us as we are ramping out, launching out into our teaching on Jesus. That if we have not yet been disturbed by Jesus, I don't think we've come to know him at all. Uh, he disturbs us. I mean, yeah, his teaching about loving our enemies should disturb us. Who are the people in our world that we would most like to just nuke and get off the face of the earth? Jesus tells us to love them. Yeah, that's hard. Jesus tells us to, up to take our money and to give it all to God and, and follow him. That's a hard teaching. That should disturb us. But I think the most disturbing thing of all is this. Jesus says, all of your dreams, all the things you hope for yourself, all of the things that you've been trying to do year in and year out to make your life feel full and worthwhile and filled up, all of the things that you use to soothe yourself, all of those ways you need to give up and follow my dream. Because Jesus' dream for the world is a dream of abundant peace. And Jesus' dream, dream for the world is a world where people who used to be enemies with one another have now become a family. And Jesus' dream for the world is that those who would uh, torture people and those people who are the most violent people of the world would turn around 180 and become the people through whom the kingdom will be born. This is the Apostle Paul. Violence beat into a plowshare. Jesus' dream for the world is huge, and he calls every one of us out of our dreams into his. That's what Jesus' kingship means. And so that should deeply disturb us. <laughs> all of us at our core, because we have our life dreams and goals, right? We have all the things we want. But here's the thing, the, prom, the great promise is this. Jesus says, if you give up all those things and trust me and embrace me, what I'm gonna give back to you in terms of family and peace and hope and the ability to, to bring healing to this world is gonna be like nothing you have yet imagined for yourself. And it will be far greater than your dreams for yourself because I'm bringing God's very presence into your life. So uh, we'll get disturbed by Jesus this year. We'll get disturbed by him, and we will uh, hopefully, by the end of the year, my goal for you is this, that if you stick with this sermon series, if you stick with Grassroots for a year on, sometime next June where we wrap this up, my dream for you is this, that you would be more in love with Jesus than you could have ever imagined that you would be freed up in your life from the things that have bound you for many years to follow him and to follow his ways, that you would find yourself freed to be a deeper disciple. And I think that that's what, that's what we have in store for us. So that's my hope. And as we do so, we do it in the context of a community, of a community that has its story. You know, this year, like I was saying before, is gonna be a year of finding out just how do we take now who we are and make it a reality? bring it into the world around us in a way that is powerful and in a way where we can do things that no one else could do because we're uniquely grassroots. And I'm looking forward to deepening as well, um, to deepening our prayer life, deepening our life of devotion to Jesus. Um, so there'll be lots of things coming. I mean, uh, you'll, you'll have heard that there is a Discover Grassroots session next week. Come to that if you don't know how to plug into this thing. Uh, come to, we're going to have a dessert night the next week after that for home groups. One of the best ways for us to continue on this journey together, I think, is to gather in smaller groups of, of um, kind of spiritual conversations, doing life together. 
Uh, so we're going to do home groups. I think there's 52 people right now that are going to be part of a beta uh, trial home group going forward. Uh, there's four groups that are, four, kind of six groups that are going forward with trying this thing out of home groups. Uh, if you want to be in a home group or want, if you want to know what that's about, two weeks on from now, there'll be a dessert night for you to come to and learn some more. Uh, we're going to do some some seminar series like Steve mentioned. We're going to do a few other things this year, getting out into the community, serving the community. In, in three weeks' time, there'll be another dessert night about how Grassroots is going to take a little step outside of itself this year and serve the local community around us. There's a lot happening, but this is a year of getting set up, setting ourselves up for the mission. We have a sense of we've charted the direction. Now we're going to get ready to, to do it. And so what that means is that there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done in the building space. There's a lot of work to be done on getting home groups going well. There's a lot of work to be done on getting our rhythm of service to the larger community going well. And uh, I'm excited about that. We're, we're going to kind of launch out this year into a year of getting set up. So my prayer for us is this in, in all of it, that as we do so, that we come to this time next year and find ourselves so much more in love with Jesus than we have been ready as a church to take step in and step out with one another towards the mission that God has for us and that we might see the very kingdom of God in, in ways we couldn't imagine growing up around the, the movement which we call grassroots. And uh, God, God willing, it'll be a beautiful, beautiful thing. So uh, we turn our attention finally to the table today. I put a gourd here because we grew this. This, this is from our community garden. This is like the one thing that we really can keep. Um, so I put that here to remind us that, that God is growing us. There's things growing around us. And as we come to his table, as we come to this table that he uh, invites us to come to um, year in, in, week in and week out, we come remembering that he came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to proclaim himself king of the world. And um, he came in a way that surprises us. So I don't know what God has been sharing in your heart with you this morning. I'm not sure what you're going to walk away remembering from today, but I, uh, I hope it's something like this, that uh, the God who gave himself for us, the God who creates the way for us and establishes his kingdom and gives us his Holy Spirit to continue the work, may he inspire you this morning. Maybe, maybe it's, God, I, I recognize, I don't even know who you are. Dip the bread in the juice. Take it in and uh, make that your own prayer this morning as a way of saying, God, I want you inside of me. Or maybe it's this, Jesus, I, I know you and I love you, but you haven't been, my life hasn't been going super well for me lately. Maybe it's a prayer of God be with me, help me be comforted by you, dip it in and take it. Whatever your prayer is, uh, make, it, make it a prayer this morning. So uh, he, comes to the, he comes to us this morning as one unknown. He comes to us as the king of the universe. And he comes to us as the one who loves us and he gave himself for us. So the table is set here. Um, and everyone is welcome.